Welcome to Manufacturing Mastery with Graham Fitzgerald, the podcast. My name's Graham Fitzgerald, and for over 30 years, I've led some of Australia's largest manufacturing organisations, riding the highs and lows, the occasional failure, and the plentiful successes that inevitably come with being in business. This podcast is aimed at helping you, the progressive Australian manufacturer, with practical, current, and real-world advice on navigating your pathway to sustainable success in manufacturing. Myself and my special guests will cover everything from how to embed a planning framework into your business, new approaches to innovation, the importance of culture and how to lead change, and navigating the new normal as an Australian manufacturer. So manufacturers, let's master it. Yeah, so when we were discussing the theme, uh, you, you, you gave me so many options that uh, you're qualified to speak on. So uh, given we're coming to the end of the first season of Manufacturing Mastery, I felt that the issue of product development was an important one for all manufacturers. It'd be fantastic if you could share with us your thoughts um, that relate to the questions, you know, and uh, you shared with me these questions. Should we really be developing new products? And if so, why? What are the risks involved and the alternatives? And what's the impact of development timeframes versus your product life? So they, they got me thinking those questions you, you sort of threw back at me. So I'd love you to share with uh, us your thoughts around that. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're reasonable questions and um, um, it's all about the why. Uh, and it's really good timing because, as you know, we're going through the, you know, the some product development, actually product launch at the moment. Um, and I realise that product development for small manufacturers, uh, well, relatively small manufacturers in my mind, uh, like McLanahan, we're offering a low volume, high value, often customised product or, uh, or system. And, that, and that, that can be a challenge. But don't get me wrong, a manufacturer has to develop. They have to develop the products and services um, because... The market changes, technology changes. We know and we experience all the time customer expectation changes. Who would pay $15 for a pizza and then another $15 to have it delivered um, in uh, in COVID? But that's accepted now. I doubt that I'd ever get my father or even myself um, to, you know, accept that that's a reality. <laughs> um, but But... So, so we have to, you know, we, we do have to develop, I, I believe. Um, and you need to set up a culture and an expectation that accepts, uh, accepts that that is, that is the reality. But we have to be the really try and be um, more disciplined around the entire process. Um, so I, I guess you'd, you'd look at, we always seem to be developing our existing products, and that's a normal part of um, a continual improvement culture. Or if you look at the, you know, the, the classic four Ps of marketing, um, prolonging your product life cycle um, is important and it often requires development. Uh, and this is normally done by the best uh by the best companies, it's normally done incrementally in well-defined stages. And and I say that because uh, obviously uh, in the dim, dark, distant past, I come from a software background, and you didn't get, in those days, you didn't get an update every day like you do with your apps on your phone. 
you actually got a staged update, update, you might get that once a year or, or once every six months, and then you'd get an upgrade once every five years. And so it was it was sort of expected and understood and normalised. Uh, things have changed a little now nowadays. Um, but in the manufacturing space, um, we talk about continuous improvement. But if you're constantly changing, it's actually detrimental to your brand. That's been our experience. Because people can't find stability. They can't find familiarity in your process and in your, in your equipment. Um, so that can erode confidence. So um, as I mentioned, even with existing products and even with a, a culture of continuous improvement, are all positive things, you must be able to articulate the why. It's not develop for development's sake. The why is the most important uh, question, not the what or the when or the how much, which is often a question you get asked, but the why is the most important internal uh, and external question. So for product development of existing products, we need to make sure that our developments or our, modif uh, our modifications uh, or upgrades actually have a measurable value to the majority of your users. That's a great met metric to say, okay, we're going to develop or we might have three development projects or three modifications and we want to prioritise which one has a measurable value to the majority of the users. And that value, can I clearly state that value and demonstrate that value? And then what is the best uh, way to actually roll that out in, in well-defined, well-communicated, clear stages? And as also as part of the why, you need to be able to articulate exactly the same value inside the company. Right. Yep. You know, so, it, you know, why are we actually doing this? So that's actually aligning your own resources. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, you're right, uh, Graham. You have, to bring, you have to bring them along with you um, and you have to be able to explain and justify the expenditure, the extra time um, and, and the change, I guess. So it might be. Um, that, okay, guys, uh, this product is becoming mature. We're sort of seeing decline in interest. Um, so we want to extend the product life cycle and, and you know, we're going to make these modifications or add these, these new technologies to it. Um, you might say, okay, well, we've got, we've got a, uh, you know, a 50% market share. We want uh, a new percentage of the market who are, have different expectations or, or we want to actually increase the profit, so we're going to add this value to it, hmm. okay. or, or we want to replace technology, all of those sorts of things. Um, and that relates to, you know, how you go about existing, right. developing existing. And how is that different to new products then? Um, new products is, is different because there's higher risk, higher complexity, um, and, and higher cost. So you obviously need to look at the depth and the breadth of the market or the proportion of it that you can compete in. So if you're looking at a new product, you're actually re-looking at the market um, as if you were an entry level. And you go, okay, this is the market. How do I know this is the market? How do I justify this is the market? And 
can we actually compete in that? And, and you also need to look at the product life expectancy. So in our case, we have a 25-year um, life expectancy. But if you're putting together maybe a new phone or you know some new technology that only has likely a five-year product life expectancy, well, you you better make sure that you can develop that product quickly. Yeah. Because you know your market's going to change in five years. It absolutely is. It doesn't matter what market you're in. Your market's going to change. If it takes you two years to develop the product and then another two to um, develop it uh, or, or just develop the marketing uh, and grab market share, then you have a very small window to go from nothing to external market share. Um, now, that's not saying don't do it. That's saying That's saying be aware of the product life expectancy because the value proposition might still be valid. You might see a real niche that is willing to pay a premium for this product, but there's a short time to do it. So instead of developing it, so then again, you know, when we were talking originally about the questions I ask is do you need to develop and, and why? Well, can you acquire that technology, that change, that development, or a good part of it? I mean, it's really surprising how much there is already out in the marketplace that you may be able to capture in some form, uh, not necessarily owning it, licensing it, joint venturing it. Um, there, there, there could be an alternative method because there might be technology that's similar, that's partly developed, that's already fully developed, but might be just poorly marketed. It might be underfunded, might be slightly underdeveloped. Um, and, and, and that means that acquisition to that development is much faster and, and can be a much cheaper path to market. And that really hits that time, hit really focusing on that um, importance of time and being timely into those markets that um, you're, you're developing. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important question you know, to ask yourself and be honest about it. Um, and that is, what is the time to develop this? And are we willing to invest in make, you know, is that suitable? And if not, are we willing to invest to make it shorter? Yeah. So I think your go-to-market plan is really important. You need to ask those questions. So you need to have a go-to-market plan, have researched your market, research the, the you know, competitive landscape, obviously, and um, understand the portion of that market you can grab over what time. Um, but I'd suggest also fully cost in the entire cost of resourcing this development, this product development, yep. and, and cost it in at the shortest possible time. So you may, you may say, oh, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to use existing resources in the company to actually develop this. We'll expect it to take three times as long and the cost about the same but just be amortised over a longer period uh, and get no funding back, go no money back for it because you're not able to put it in the market for five years. But nevertheless, whichever way you do it, you need to actually put the, the, continue, the, the total cost uh, of the product development, including the marketing, not just the technical development, across a five-year time frame, at least, uh, in, in our case anyway, um, that that'll allow you a uh, that'll allow you time to get to market 
and then time again to get the uh, customization or, or to perfect the um, to to perfect the development, uh, and then look at a you know a minimum five year after that ROI to capture the entire cost. Um, again, depending on your market, it might be ten years for someone like mm. us. Yeah, um, and then be be you know including then then look at your ROI as full life cycle ROI. So in our case, it's the it's the total investment to develop it and market it, and then the ROI includes for our equipment the sale price, the services that we attach to it, the 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 the, the tail as I call it, the spare the spare parts yeah, yeah. Uh, and upgrades over the entire life of that one product and then multiply that by the products you'll um the number of products that you'll sell and you will actually get an honest long-term view not a short-term grab just so that you can say you've got a new product in the market and hope someone buys your company um (laughs) but an actual long-term view of what the real real cost and the real value is of this new product development Are you looking to grow your manufacturing business and need some support to achieve your goals? My Manufacturing Mastermind Group is a great place to start. This exclusive group receives monthly worksheets and guidance around the five key principles of manufacturing growth. There's a monthly live virtual Q&A session and a live mentoring call with a Mastermind member where we troubleshoot the business challenge of the day. Plus, this group comes together on a quarterly basis for a one-day workshop to ensure accountability in the delivery of your business growth plan. Find out more by visiting grahamfitzgerald.com.au slash mastermind. So you, you mentioned before that you're, the McLanahan are in the, the, um, the process of introducing their, their new um, sizing range um, to the markets. So one of the things that I... We try and do in this um, this podcast series is actually for those that uh, use it, give their valuable time to listen, is that they can take something away from uh, their uh, from this that they can actually apply in their business. So, can you share with us what the the biggest challenges have been in the first place for you in that new product development and and how you're tackling it? Yeah, sure, uh, happy to do that. Uh, significant challenges. Um, uh, and a significant process, I guess. Um, and I hope uh, people are patient enough, patient enough to to hang on uh, for the ride. But the new, the, the we're um, in the process of launching um, a new mineral sizer, uh, which is a designed for a crusher um, that's suitable for new markets, including medium and hard rock minerals. You heard me mention that our core business, we have capability in this area, but it's for, it's for softer minerals um, and different duties, I guess. So it's, it's not a blue sky product development. Um, it is being launched this month at Mine Expo in Las Vegas. So it's a, you know, it's a, a significant investment for the company and we expect long-term value from it. Um, so, you know, we have some expertise in this area. We have actually been building crushes of one sort or another since 1894, 
as an ent- as a organisation. I wasn't there at the time, uh, but not long <laughs> after. Um, and we we have been building direct drive sizes uh, similar to this in Australia since two thousand and three. But they've been, as I mentioned, for things like salt and coal, softer rock. Um, so the ex- this exercise is about leveraging the knowledge and the expertise um, and the learnings and then building a complete new type of crusher, which we call the mineral sizer, that actually suits a new market and goes across multiple iterations of that market. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I have to tell you why because I... Uh, previously opened my mouth and said, you always have to ask the question, why? (laughs) Um, So because part of our long-term business plan, um, which, which, you know, people like yourself have have, uh, been involved in, you know, nurturing our our process of of understanding how we develop these plans. Um, and, And part of that plan included pivoting, our solutions, the solutions we offered and the service we offered towards alternative minerals, which I mentioned before, yeah. um, any, you know, those minerals are outside of coal. So we, we currently have a number of minerals processing solutions that are suitable to be used in other minerals such as nickel, oh, copper, gold, iron ore, uh, and more recently lithium, uh, which is a buzzword around the minerals area, at the moment, as we talk about the development of electrical vehicles. So to us, it seemed like um, a lower risk option and potentially a lower cost option to take an existing technology that we know works and redevelop it, repackage it um, from the ground up and, and provide a product that actually fits these emerging markets. So we talked about challenges previously in developing the product, um, which is really about um, uh, how well you develop that product, how well you understand the market that you're going into, the technology that you're going to use, and the technology that's going to be available in the future. So that might be um, things like uh, remote access, remote condition monitoring. It might be new metallurgies that are merged to make them more wear-resistant um, and more reliable. So all of that goes into the cost of the um, um, of the new product. And we went down the track of um, using our existing uh, technical people, our existing engineers, um, to develop this uh, and it's been a honestly it's been a, um, a double-edged sword and I think I've been cut personally with both edges uh, but we we uh, I like the analogy we, we use we used um, that opportunity because we have the capability we have engineering people inside the organization that have expertise in this area and it's difficult to find that expertise elsewhere um, to actually invest in it, and it's, and it's costly both ways. But the, the long and the short of it is it has taken us uh, quite a number of years to get to this point, and the market is moving. Um, so clearly we're not the first um, in this new market. Yeah. We, are, uh, we are trailing, but we have 
been able to leverage some of our expertise and some of the learnings along the way to, to tweak the design and provide new and innovative features with new technologies that have been available. So it's sort of a, um, as I mentioned, it's a two-edged sword. Um, but what I want to really talk about, because it's my passion and it's my experience, is yes, I've developed a product. So product development and market penetration are you know, quite different. And I'd like to talk about the market penetration. Yeah. And you really need to understand who your customer is going to be and what our competitive position should be. And ideally, we want to be in control of our competitive position. Not always easy, and it sounds sometimes it sounds impossible, and many people focus way too much on their direct competitors. What we want to know is what is our what is an ideal customer? Describe an ideal customer. What specific customer fits in this profile? So you know that from this product? That's the market that we have, that's the market research that we have taken. Yep. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Um, our ideal customer for this equipment uh, in the introduction phase is an Australian miner processing iron ore. Bauxite, copper, nickel, spodumene, who is looking for a lower capital cost primary crusher that may need to manage a specific product size coming out the end and or it may need to, to manage feed in, in going into the crusher that is clay-ridden or has contaminant material. And our unique value proposition is design, and built in Australia with features that significantly reduce maintenance, downtime, and total cost of ownership. So what that does is that's that's a clear um, message. It's a clear narrative. It's a clear understanding for our own internal business to understand where our product fits and what the value proposition is. So we're all speaking about it in the same way, and we can all articulate that to the market. So we're taking a very large market and we're trying to identify what an ideal customer is yep. and how we would sell it to them. So then we have, within that, we have we have to talk about the P word. We have to talk about pricing. What is the pricing strategy to meet the market? Yep. And if you haven't defined your market and defined your um, value proposition clearly enough, you will struggle on the pricing word, the pricing strategy. Um, so there's the, 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 the pricing strategy for us is to meet the market. That is, whatever the market price is, the acceptable price is for, a, for the customer, for the industry, and for the unique value proposition that we have is meet the market. And the execution, the execution is made to order using a standard range, but with some customizable options. So what well, I guess what I'm trying to um, demonstrate here is that we've we, we you know we've done a lot of research in the early phases about how big the market is, uh, how broad it is, what the competitive landscape is, what the typical pricing expectation is in the marketplace features are, um, what, who's got what market share, how much can we steal, um, and 
you know, under what time frame. So, it, you know, it, it's quite, it's important to be specific, clear, well-defined. Now, you can bet that the first customer that we actually get is not going to be one that fits that <laughs> that niche that we've identified. I, I'm, not, you know, I'm sure there are cynical people out there that are rolling their eyes going, yeah, nice, that's the perfect customer, but who are you actually going to get? Um, you got to start somewhere. Our, our customer will have one or more of those attributes and and, and it will change as the, the, the market life cycle changes, the market expectation changes. So with us... Um, that sort of that's that's a formula for how we're going to penetrate the marketplace. Um, and um, now we look at our channels. So how do we touch the people that we need? And, and I guess I'm a bit fortunate because I have a, an an awesome team of um, uh, of marketing people, and I have some marketing myself and some IT myself. But don't get stressed out about that because there are really good third-party marketing consultants out there that actually, you know, can put this together for a, for a, you know, a product launch and not just a product launch but, you know, a five-year penetration strategy. So um, which you do have to relook at every 12 months. Um, so that's quite important. So we look at our channels. Um, um, you know, when you actually put your goal together, uh, you don't don't look at you know you will need to look at revenue because you need to look at cost. You need to know how much it costs you. The revenue um, is not you know you, your goal is not um, okay. I'm going to make this much in in first year. I'm going to make this much in second year. It's really got to be more iterative than that because you've got to say what drives revenue, and so you've got to be looking at what drives revenue, and that that informs your goals. So what drives revenue in a business like us is installed base. Yep. So we need to identify what is our current installed base and who are our target customers and who would we, who's our, who's our reference site and what are we willing to do to get that reference site? Because those are the things we know drives acceptance um, and revenue. And then, okay, then how do we touch those people? So do we then, um, you know, what are, what are the methodologies that are open to us? And there's, there are loads of methods of going to market and creating leads and so forth and driving, you know, building a funnel and driving people down at different stages. So um, we look at the channels. We, we look at uh, how do people research products similar to this one? similar to the mineral sizer, or similar, how do people research solutions to the problems that this product solves? So in this case, we're taking large lumps and we're breaking them down to smaller lumps, but in a controlled way under certain, certain conditions, which change depending on which mineral you're operating. But regardless of that, how do people currently search for solutions? What media? Do they use what mix of media? Do they just use references, people they know, experience that they've had? Um, do they use industry-based um, uh, forums? Do they use groups uh, or do they just hit the Google button? Um, and so we need to look at the right media or mix of media 
that offers the right channels for the markets that we have chosen? And then what is the message or messages or the mix of messages that meets the customer's question? But it also takes the opportunity to provide that unique value proposition. So we're trying to do two things. We're trying to provide awareness and then education and then consideration, you know, the marketing funnel. So what is the message or mix of messages that you can say, okay, your question is how do I um, how do I crush spodumene, which is the ore that lithium um, is extracted from? And so then, okay, we need to have a message that says, you know, we have the expertise to do this and you should choose us because we have these unique innovative features and capabilities or this experience and so forth. So we're, we're looking at both the, the core message and then that opportunity provide a differentiator. Um, and so then, of course, as I mentioned, we have to look at it um, we have to look at it annually, at least in terms of a plan. But for everything that we do in market penetration, um, we need to actually put together success metrics and timeframes. So I've mentioned that we are looking at reference sites, uh, at key customers, at leveraging existing relationships. So we have to have a matrix that says, okay, well, this is what your goal has been. What is your time frame to, sort of, to uh, engage that? What would you consider to be successful and where are you at on that? And, yes, it's a lot of work, but um, it gives confidence that you're actually going in the right direction and gives feedback to the executive and all of the other stakeholders in the company who have put their blood, sweat and tears into this challenge. And the most demanding challenge by far, Graham, is to maintain the rage and that is, how do we keep intensity with the internal stakeholders who are engaged in this project across the full timeline of the project from concept through implementation then to, you know, your market share um, goals with, a, you know, with new product development and introduction? It's not isolated. We're actually doing this whilst we're doing the rest of our business. So it goes along with all the other challenges and all the other demands that we're constantly being asked in an ever-changing environment. So that is around how we motivate people um, and how we bring them along the journey with us. If you're wanting tailored one-to-one coaching for fast results, perhaps my mentoring service is the option you need. This package includes two one-to-one sessions each month and a weekly accountability call, as well as access to the growing network of members in the Mastermind Group. Find out more by visiting grahamfitzgerald.com.au forward slash mentoring or contact me directly via the form on my website to understand how I can best help you grow your business. The process of making a decision to launch a new product or develop and then launch a new product is actually a fairly significant one. And uh, everything that I've heard you talk about, Chris, there is that there's needs to be a deliberateness about all aspects of that process if you really wish wish it to be successful, particularly in a, an environment like your own. Uh, yeah, um, 
pretty insight. Listening back to to your um, comment, Graham, I think I may have scared people off for product development. <laughs> uh, but it, it is a project, and you you know there has to be an owner um, yeah. who puts their 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 life on the line to, um, I guess, to make it happen. And that the best skill that that person has is to be able to tell the story. Uh, to bring the rest of the, the contributors along with them and keep them keep them um, in 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 a in a mindset that they they belong to a an avant garde team who's forging the future and and share with them the successes however small. <clears throat> Yeah, I I didn't hear. Um, yeah, yes, what I heard was that um, launching is uh, launching new products and developing isn't necessarily for the faint-hearted if you really want to be successful, but the rewards are there if you go looking for it, and that maybe marketing isn't just about tossing up a bit of a digital strategy and then hoping that somebody comes along and buys it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Um... I think it's a a life cycle process, yeah. a lifetime yeah. process. Where you're constantly re looking at yourself uh, again because you know you obviously your market changes, um, and you need to reassess all the time. So over you know, with more than twenty years' experience in leading and directing marketing and sales uh, in the resource sector, could you share with us um, your? Uh, your your greatest lesson, and I know this is a big question because um, you know deliberately so because uh, I really want your view of what are the what are the things that stand out for you. Yeah. Mm. You're right, Graham. It is a big question. I'm, it tends to be um, one which sort of makes me uh, introspective. Um, but in in having a chat with you, and then you asking me these questions about product development, which is one aspect of it, um, uh, and the complexity and tenacity that you need to deliver, I, you know, I think about uh, I think about the challenge of playing the infinite game, as I've often spoken to you about, uh, which is one of my favourite sort of um, I guess business theories but um when yeah when i when i think about a lifetime of experience you go through different phases both as a business and as a human being yep if i try and distill it down so that i'm not um wafting on i, I think success comes from or it comes more easily or more readily when you have two criteria that's something that's sort of followed me all the way through if you have a just pause to follow and you have trusted teams i think success um success surrounds you uh, in my case almost accidentally you stumble upon it um and that probably sounds a little idealistic um uh, when you're talking to a business clientele but we're all humans and it's not really that idealistic. I mean, mm. if I look back, I've been through um, the tech boom and the tech crisis, a couple of stock market crashes, uh, the global financial crisis, the mining boom, the mining bust, and now um, a global pandemic. It's just an example that life is constantly changing. 
um, and you need to be flexible and you need to be resilient, uh, which everyone hears and everyone understands it, and it's hard to be resilient until you've had all of these life experiences. But you need to try and salvage some key learnings that you can put in your pocket and take along with you. Um, and so when people hear the word just cause, I, I feel as though I have to explain myself. And I think, in fact, it was you that reintroduced me to the concept of the just cause. So, so you're guilty. Um, <laughs> but, but at the time, you called it purpose. Yep. And that sort of resonated back, you know, for me. So when things get scattered um, and stressful and, and there are competing competing uh, priorities from, you know, all different areas, I think it's important that we as leaders are able to point to the purpose of our company, why are we here, and then from there to our people to help them understand as individuals how we contribute to that purpose at any point in our life cycle, in our time. And so you, I, I, tell, I do tell my staff, my team, when it all gets too much, just ask yourself, what is my purpose? Yeah. So as it relates to your current purpose and your purpose um, in being part of this team, in part of this journey, how do you contribute to our purpose? And that will help you. It'll blow the cobwebs out. It'll give you a moment of um, reflection and it'll give you some guidance. Um, and any guidance is better than no guidance. Uh, in, in McClanahan, I've mentioned before that we're really quite fortunate. We all work for a CEO who has a clear vision, who understands our purpose, and he can articulate it. And it's a purpose that, uh, it's a purpose that considers our future, uh, our people, and our work environment. And the second part of that is that we know that we are trusted to deliver on our goals or deliver on our purpose. And those two things I've taken with me, trusted teams and a just cause. I like to call it a just cause. It makes me sound noble. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're small, they, they seem like small things and you'd think over a, a lifetime I'd have more bolder things, but I, I distill them all down to those when, uh, when it comes to, when it all comes to the crunch. Uh, no, thank you for that. That's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you uh, a lot about the, the importance of that. For me, um, as I've come to understand uh, business over many years now, uh, it's one of those foundation pieces that I think is important, uh, Chris. And, look, I really do appreciate uh, you sharing your thoughts and a bit of your journey in uh, the, the world of McClanahan and uh, development of the resources sector and minerals and their solutions and those sorts of things. Um, you know, we could go on for uh, I think we'll probably end up making this a bit of a, a two-part series uh, so that we can give people some time to get and reflect on the, the fabulous information you've shared. So um, uh, we might uh, leave it there as a good place to wrap it up. Um, my understanding, Chris, is that people can contact you via LinkedIn. Uh, I know your email address is available there uh, to reach out. So um, well, absolutely happy to chat. Yeah, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully in season two, um, you know, we might be able to have you back to to share some of the other areas of your passion. Uh, 
thank you for your time and sharing some of the knowledge with us. It's my pleasure and thank you for the opportunity to talk. Thank you for being part of this week's episode. It was great to have you. I'm always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, ideas and suggestions for future topics for the podcast. So please get in touch through my Facebook page, Graham Fitzgerald, Manufacturing Growth Specialist, my LinkedIn page or via my website, grahamfitzgerald.com.au. That's G-R-A-E-M-E fitzgerald.com.au. If you're enjoying what I'm putting out here, please rate, review or subscribe to the podcast so more manufacturers can find out about it and we can build our community of masterminds manufacturing in this great nation. Talk to you soon.